Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Have you ever been greeted with a face like that when you're trying to talk to your teen? I'm guessing probably yes. It's a fairly common response. I, as because I mentor teens, I've encountered that expression quite a few times. In fact, fairly recently I had a new client and he got on the phone on Zoom, and that's exactly how I was greeted. And I thought, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And then I realized, <laughs> I asked for this. This is exactly what I do. And I relaxed for a second and realized this is exactly what I do. And I want to help you understand when you're greeted with this stoic face, folded arms, not wanting to open up, or the, I don't know, I don't care, whatever. When you're greeted with that, what do you do? So I'm going to give you three tips today on how to handle teens that don't want to open up and how to encourage them to actually talk to you. So the first one is very basic, yet very, very hard. It's to actually listen. For our kids to talk to us, we actually have to listen to them. This one's really hard for me. Growing up and to this day, my family teases me because I'm the one that's always talking. And they're all fairly quiet. They're not big talkers. And they all blame me because I was always talking. I was monopolizing the conversation. But I felt like it was my job to keep the conversation going. If I was quiet, it was quiet. Now, they wanted it quiet. I didn't get that because I don't feel comfortable with the quiet. I like to talk. I like conversation. So I always felt it was up to me to keep the conversation going. And so I always talked. As parents, we get into this mode as well. When we ask our kids questions or we try to start a conversation and they don't talk, what do we do? We try to fill in the gaps. We try to talk for them. We keep asking more and more questions and we keep talking. And when we do that, we shut down their opportunity to talk. So one of the things to consider is how do we actually spend that time listening? And one of the things 
that we need to do, which I still struggle with to this day, is be comfortable in silence. If they're unwilling to talk, give them the space to think of what they need to say. Or let them break the uncomfortable silence because they're probably uncomfortable with it too and give them that opportunity. But more importantly, it's in, you want to be able to show that you're actively listening to them. And this requires a few key things. First of all, it requires your full attention, which means if you're listening like this, you ain't listening. If you're listening like this, you're not listening. If you're listening in your head thinking, how am I going to reply to this? What am I going to say? What do I, what's going on? You're not listening. Listening requires your full on attention, turning towards them, putting your phone down. That's a tough one too, I know. Putting your phone down, facing them, leaning in, eyes open and paying attention to what they're saying. That's listening. You should be able to repeat back what they told you. Not worry about what you're going to say back. And when people feel like they're truly being listened to, then they feel safe and open to talking. When they feel like they're going to talk only to trigger a lecture or your response or a big emotion, your freak out. A lot of teens are very worried about us freaking out because a lot of times we freak out. When they're worried about that, they're going to be very hesitant to open up because they're not sure what they're going to get. But if they know they're going to get you listening, chances are better that they're going to that they're going to talk. One of the rules I love is the 80-20 rule. And this kind of gets in your head that they should be talk, let them talk for 80% of the time. And you only talk for 20% of the time. And when you do talk, use it for the next two steps I'm going to talk about. So the second one is empathizing. And this can be very difficult for us as parents because there's a lot of things that our teens get upset about that we're just like, seriously, in the scheme of the world, this is not that important. Realize that in the scheme of their world, it is very, very important. And it was important to you when you were that age too. Realize that and help validate their emotions. And this is true for right now when kids are angry. They're upset, they're frustrated. They want to be outside with their friends and we have to, we're the bad guys because we have to keep them in for their safety, but they see us as the bad guys. We need to spend some time empathizing with them going, oh my gosh, I get it. I, I feel it. This is hard for me too, this sucks. Or man, when if I was your age doing this, I, and not being able to see my friends, I don't know how, I don't think I would even handle as well as you are. This is really, really difficult. I get that. I understand. You have every right to be frustrated with this. 
When we validate their emotions, they realize that you understand them. It's safe. There, there's a place where they're being heard. And this is so critically important to reflect back what you hear. Not only does that show them that you understand, it also gives them a time to correct you if you've got it wrong. But it shows you're listening and it shows you care. So empathy is something that is very difficult, particularly when we're angry. It's hard to get in that mode of being empathetic to them. But when we are empathetic to them or to anybody, I mean, I talk about relationships with teens. This works with relationships with anyone. When they feel heard, it changes everything. I was telling a friend of mine the other day how I was really frustrated because I was trying to get a prescription filled. And I've been trying for over a week to get this prescription filled. And I get it, coronavirus, there's a lot going on, but I was starting to feel the results of not having this medication. And I really, I was, I was out. And so I was getting very frustrated. And I would get through them. It would take some, I was on the phone for four hours waiting to get through to somebody. So by the time I got through to somebody, I was kind of pissy. I was not very happy at the moment. I was trying really hard to stay calm. And the woman was actually very kind. She was like, I get it. I'm sorry that you had to wait this long. And I'm going to do everything I can to help. And she was able to calm me down. And I was able to talk to her reasonably. And we had a good conversation. I was like, okay, I heard. Unfortunately, problem wasn't resolved and I had to get back on the phone the next day. So now I'm even more upset because I had someone believing that I believed this person was going to help me and it didn't end up helping. And I got on the phone and I finally got through to another person and she mainly made it sound like it was my fault that my prescription hadn't been filled. And she was not empathizing with my situation at all. She was trying to solve it, but she wasn't very emotional or feeling. She didn't really validate how I was feeling. And it got me more and more pissed off. So I'm like, how dare she think it's my fault? I've been on the phone for how long trying to get this fixed? I've been walking over there. I've been doing everything I can think of. And she's making me feel like I shouldn't be upset about this, which makes me more upset. So we think about this with our teens. If we're not validating how they're feeling, we're just encouraging them to get more upset and less likely to open up to us because we don't get it and we don't understand. We just make them feel worse. So empathizing is really essential. The third thing I want to talk about is asking open-ended questions. And this is one that another client of mine said, Dr. Cam, I get it, but I don't get it. I hear people all the time say, ask open-ended questions, ask open-ended questions. What does that mean and how do you do it? I try it, it doesn't work. Asking open-ended questions is a skill on its own and it takes a lot of practice. And there's a few key things to think about when you ask open-ended questions. One is how are you asking them? Because how you ask is more important than what you're asking. And a lot of times when we're asking open-ended questions, we are at the point where we're frustrated and we're trying to get them to open up 
And so we're using them more as a kind of a, a weapon in a way. I don't know if that's the right word, but as a way to get them to open up. So we're coming at it with kind of like our tone can be more judgmental or more frustrated or more accusatory. Definitely can come across as judgmental and accusatory. And when we do that, you know, well, how did you feel about that? Well, what did you do? When you're asking it that way, they're not going to want to answer you because the chances are if they answer you, they're just going to get themselves in more trouble. They're just going to trigger more of that. So we need to really watch our tone when we're asking the questions and our motive for asking the questions. Asking the questions, the goal of these is to help guide them to think on their own. We're teaching them to think critically. And so these open-ended questions actually guide them and teach them what are the questions that they can start to asking themselves. And our motive is also to understand and understand what they're saying and get, we're kind of this, we're like coming at it as a detective, right? We're not an, we're not an interrogator, boo, 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 boo. We're a detective going, let me understand what's going on so we can get to the bottom of this. And when you ask open and new questions that lead them to start thinking, we need to go back to being, to listening and giving them plenty of time to think. Because a lot of times we'll ask these questions and they don't know the answers right away. They may not know the answers in a while. It may take them a while to process, but that doesn't mean they're processing. And if we jump in and try to answer it for them, we're not giving them the time to process. And we're showing them that we don't trust that they're going to be able to come up with the answer. So this is another time to be very patient and to spend that time listening. I'm going to give you three really great open-ended questions to ask. I have a list of my eight favorite ones. And if you're interested in those, just email me at drcam at drcamconsulting.com. And I'm happy to send those over to you. So the first question is, how do you think you're going to handle that. Now this question causes them to think, what are my possibilities of handling this? And it also puts it back on them. I'm not solving it for you. This is not my issue. I'm here to help you handle your issue, but this is your issue. So how do you think you're going to handle that? And ask in an acquisitive, kind way, like, I'm curious. How are you going to handle that? If they're super frustrated and they're like, I don't know, can you help me? Give it a little time. Say, I have some ideas. I'd love for you to come up with your own. Or I've got, a, I've got one idea that might help. Do you want to hear it? Remember we talked about asking questions? Do you want to hear it? And then they're inviting you to share that idea. But you're also allowing them to say no or to reject your idea. You're just, show, you're just sharing it with them. Another question is, how do you feel it went? And I'm saying feel instead of think it went, because think is, think is more like, I know the answer. Feel is more, feel is about how, what's my opinion? What is my view on this? And then we start having them think internally and being able to validate or evaluate what happened so that they can learn how did it go the way they wanted to? And if not, 
that opens up the question of, well, what we, can you do different next time to get what you wanted? So you feel like it went well. Or if it went well, great. What did you do that made it go well? So we learn what you can do to rep, what you can replicate. The final one that I love is how can I best support you? As parents, we want to solve it. We want to, we want to fix everything. One of the hardest things as a parent is to see our kids struggle. It's in, in, and be in pain, be hurt. Oh my gosh. The, the thing that hurts my heart the most is when I see my daughter crying or upset. That, that, is, that is serious pain to me. And you want to fix it. You want to make it better. But when we're constantly jumping in and fixing it for them, they're never going to learn how to fix it themselves. But we can ask them, how can I best support you? Which gives them the chance to think, what support can I use from you? Then, and they might not know, chances are good, I don't know, I don't know, and they don't, but you've put that seed in their head and hopefully at, at some point they may be ready and have an idea and they'll know that you've asked and they can come back and say, I have a way you can support me. And when they say that, there's your end to support them, but it was on their terms and it was coming from their own critical thinking process and not your own. The final tip, I said I gave you three, I'm gonna give you one more. Final tip I wanna give you is to practice this. Practice having conversations with your team. And the best way to do this is to talk about things that they love. Things that they can talk hours about. I, I remember my, my nephew would be difficult to talk to when he was younger. And it, not that he was a difficult kid, he just, would be quiet a lot of times and wouldn't always open up. But when you asked him things that he enjoyed, he would, could talk for hours about. So I've learned the difference between freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestling. I learned about, wow, World of Warcraft that he got into. And I would learn music. I remember him and my niece would send me playlists or songs to add to my playlist because I showed interest in their music. Now with my daughter, I know so much about Broadway, which I loved Broadway, but I did not know most of the stuff that she now knows about Broadway. And I know what's going on right now. I know that people are complaining about or, or making fun of Jonathan Groff and how much he's spitting as King George in the, in, um, why did I say in Hamilton, which we saw in Hamilton. And I know they're all making fun of that. And my, my daughter's over here laughing right now. Um, but that Ben Platt also spits a lot because you need to when you sing higher. And I know that Ben Platt is going to play star as Evan in the movie of Dear Evan Hansen. And I know this and I'm interested in it because this is what my daughter loves. And she's going, yeah, that's what I love. So having these conversations with them about things they love invites them to open up and have conversations and they get used to talking to you and they get used to you being interested in asking questions. So when things become difficult and there's harder conversations, they're already open. They've already practiced. You and them have already practiced having that conversation and it becomes much easier. And I want to go back before I end, I want to go back and tell you about this kid. 
would you be surprised to know that by the end of the first session, he had agreed to talk to me again. And when we got on the phone the second time, he was full on camera, opened up and talking because I had spent the first session empathizing with him, asking him kind open-ended questions and telling him I was trying to understand and get understand where he was coming from so I could help him. So that's what we're talking about today. The, I'm going to go through the four things real quick. Listen, empathize, ask open-ended questions. And again, if you want my list of eight open-ended questions, you can email me at drcam at drcamconsulting.com. And the fourth one is to practice. And you'll be amazed at some cool things you're going to be able to learn from your team. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.